to the podcast today. I have a special guest. Her name is Jennifer Nagel. Am I saying that right? You are. Okay. And Jennifer is the Director of Training Development of the Satir Institute of the Pacific. And she was uh, one of the supervisors at a training that I did a few years ago. Um, and she's in private practice. She's an international trainer who's trained in China, Hong Kong, Kenya. Um, and this is around the umbrella of the Satir model and transformational systemic therapy. Uh, she supervises and trains therapists and also provides a variety of different workshops and trainings for uh, parents. And um, she's in private practice as well. And you're in BC. Which city are you in, BC? I'm in Surrey. Well, Vancouver Surrey. for those Vancouver. Who are... <laughs> yeah, so Vancouver, BC. And she's also written a great book called Magic in the Muck, Finding Grace in Chaos. So what a timely, what a timely topic given everything that's going on with uh, the coronavirus. And so I, I highly recommend that people check that out. So would you start us off with a grounding meditation uh, to help us get centered and connected with each other and to, to also help the audience uh, connect with themselves as well? Sure, I would love to. So I'd like to start by inviting everyone to just get comfortable wherever you're sitting right now and just allow your body to move in a way that allows you to just be present with yourself. And then to quote Virginia Satir, I'd like to invite you to Close your beautiful eyes if it fits for you. Just bringing your attention to your breath first. Noticing the air as it goes in through your nose, down into your lungs and out into your bloodstream. Bringing every cell in your body what it needs to support your life right now. Just notice your breath as it goes in through your nose. Notice the coolness as you breathe in. And feel the warmth of the air as you exhale. And as you exhale, just feel your body releasing tension, releasing stress releasing any negativity. Breathing in exactly what you need. Breathing in energy and vitality. Breathing out tension. And just notice if you can have some appreciation for your breath. And notice any areas of tension in your body right now. Knowing that tension is one way our bodies have of speaking to us. Just see if you can listen to your body in this moment. What is your tension saying? And just allow your breath 
to go to those areas of tension. And maybe add some love and caring to the breath. Bringing love and caring to those areas that need it right now. Again, noticing your breath as you breathe in. Breathing in exactly what you need for this moment. And breathing out what you don't need. Just noticing your body, wherever you are sitting. You can start to wiggle your toes and wiggle your fingers as you just experience all of you being fully present. And then when you're ready, you can just gently open your eyes. Looking around, being here in this moment. Thank you, Jennifer. Um, as I was experiencing that meditation and reflecting on the word grace in the title of your book um, and the way that you were expressing yourself through that meditation, I think grace is a very apt word to describe how I experience you and how I experienced you at the training that we did a few years ago um, that I, as a participant, and I'm, I'm wondering by way of starting, if I could read a few paragraphs from your book and then get you to reflect on, on this writing and, and on this word. Um, is that okay as a way of starting? Sure. Yeah, okay. sure. Let's do that. What are moments of grace? They are those moments that find their way into our lives in the midst of chaos that offer reprieve from the storm. The small miracles that connect one breath to the next. We recognize them immediately, yet do not always stop to appreciate them, to notice them and see them for what they are. Moments when the mountains, when the mountain doesn't seem so daunting, or moments to recognize what is happening, to pause or simply to breathe. To fully experience and appreciate these moments of grace, we must fully experience and embrace life. This means we also need to fully experience and embrace the pain. It is through embracing the pain that we are most able to find those moments of grace. All right. Uh, so there's a lot in, packed into those two paragraphs. And yeah. um, I'm wondering um, if you could share how, how you think and experience grace in your own life um, and, and how that word is, has the, what meaning it has in your life. Mm. Yeah, even finding words to convey the meaning of grace isn't always easy to do. But um, mm -hmm. what isn't easy, because it's such a, it's, it is for me and my experience of it, even as you were reading that paragraph, I have a full body experience that just brings me into a whole mixture of, of like physiological sensations and feeling warmth. Um, I feel, you know, even some tears behind my eyes, but they're mm. tears of gratitude because I think grace and gratitude um, really work, art work together. So, mm -hmm. um, so for grace, you know, when we're in the middle of chaos, even what's happening right now with the coronavirus and 
especially at, when at first there was so much chaos happening mm -hmm. and stopping to find moments like where again it's about being present i think when we're when we're really present with ourselves and present with wherever we're at at a moment in time paying attention to what is helping me be here right now in this moment there can be chaos all around me but can i even even breathe like we talk about the breath and breathing can i just notice like i'm able to breathe right now mm -hmm. or the air is fresh right now or at this moment in time yeah i love i'm alive yeah yeah, yeah no i love <laughs> that question what's helping me be here right now mm -hmm. what's what's sustaining my life and then that's something that we could bring in. It's like a window into experiencing gratitude and grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And do you find that 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 beginning point starts to create an amplification of that kind of energy? Is that it does, yeah. and it shifts um, the whole because I mean we all I mean there are moments where we all go through a lot of stress or I know when I experience like stress and chaos or even in my in my house my kids are fighting or. And, and so there's that whole like, physiological response or that whole reaction or what I'm doing with that. And then in the pausing, um, it's almost like we need some of those, that chaos in order to fully appreciate mm. those moments of grace. Otherwise, we, I think we would take it all for granted. Yeah. 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 Now, there's a conversation. And I think one of the, one of the lines you have in the second paragraph is this means we also need to fully experience and embrace the pain. Mm -hmm. Right. So whether that's pain or chaos, I think. It, so what, what's the dialogue in the way that you think about it? Um, how does your grace interact with the chaos of, of life and, and maybe how you're experiencing that with, with this pandemic? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> so for me so great so another word that comes to me is, is peace Just, and so again it's that you know going back to Virginia Satir's famous quote peace within peace between peace among so grace also instills a, a peace within mm -hmm. myself um, and allows me to extend that um, to others, even when, when others may not be experiencing peace at the same time, but allows me to connect with others in a way, in a way that allows me to be present with them. So your question of grace and how I experience that, mm -hmm. it really is being intentional with it, taking moments, like at the start of my day, can I look at what am I grateful for today? At the end of my day, what am I grateful for mm -hmm. today? So, so the practice of gratitude, the practice of how do I still myself and center myself at the beginning of the day or in moments where I start to feel the chaos building up. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so, so part of it is, it's not just mind because there is a, there is a, even, you know, putting my hand over my heart and my one hand on my heart, one hand on my belly just to still myself. Mm -hmm. um, and then experiencing the miracle of life. I'm just thinking, you know, it's sunny outside here right now, and I'm hearing birds singing outside. And, and it really is to notice and appreciate how life keeps going on no matter what mm -hmm. is happening. 
life keeps going on no matter what else might be happening yeah because i think mm -hmm. when there's problems it's easy to focus on on those things and they come into the the foreground and everything mm -hmm. goes out of our awareness yeah but it's a you're describing what sounds like a conscious activity and intention to bring um into view as much of what's what is a miracle or what is um what is life in the moment i guess in terms of relationships and with challenging moments challenging situations uh, are there specific attitudes or stances that you take with challenging moments maybe within personal or family are there um yeah general stances that you take towards things i'm thinking of virginia's famous quote of the problem isn't the problem mm -hmm. the problem is the coping with the problem and there are these nuggets of wisdom that i i look to in virginia's body of work that are um they point us towards what you're describing they point us towards peace they point us towards gratitude they point us towards life and yeah i, I wonder for you as we're talking about grace are there articulations of wisdom that that you found helpful in these times and also maybe in reference to some of the difficult times that you describe in your book mm -hmm. that that point to uh because because i think of what you're describing as grace and peace these are this um transcendent energies the, the words point to the energies mm -hmm. however they start to emerge and then eventually become behaviors you do something that looks like grace but in between the the energy at this level and the behavior at this level mm -hmm. is this process of okay well what's the thought what's the belief what's the attitude mm -hmm. so i think that you know what virginia did so well is well one she embodied this deeper energy it wasn't just technique and for in the way that uh, that you work and i think to work in a sustained way and, and i know you get joy from your work because i see it just as it shines through and um when i've seen you in various contexts but um I, I just wonder given this 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 technology i think it would help if you could share um what's what are the wisdom pieces or the attitudes or the stances that help you manifest grace through action and through your relationships mm -hmm. I think, well, if we go going back to Virginia Satir's beliefs, they are so, um, they really are the foundation for, I think, what, what helps me looking at, and I also, like, I absolutely know with every cell in my being that we all have the resources that we need for mm -hmm. survival and growth. So that's one. Mm -hmm. And with that, knowing that we're, human beings, you know, and that we do the best we can with what we know. Mm. And so knowing that when we are in our, you know, it, the patterns of coping, underneath it all, there's also gems and resources in how we cope as well. Even though it can be painful, you know, if, if someone is in blaming mode or, or someone is, you know, giving up their needs for the sake of somebody else there's a cost to all of that mm -hmm. but knowing underneath that that we all have the capability of being caring and compassionate of of using assertiveness and being creative and um being able to problem solve and so we all have those within us so when, so in the moments of when things are chaotic, 
I think one thing that helps me is, is really looking at, looking underneath the behavior. It isn't looking at what's happening in front of me right now. It's being curious about what else is going on underneath all this. Mm -hmm. um, and then responding to like, what is the need or the yearning? You know, right. if people are arguing often, there's a yearning to be heard, to be connected, but um, so how can I respond to the yearning instead of reacting to the behavior? Mm. No, I love that. So you're, you're highlighting at least three things. One, we all have the resources to survive and to cope with what we're facing and not only to survive, but to grow. So we have that capability and we have that capacity. Um, I guess what I would say is when we have that energy to get there, but one of the things I've been thinking about is it, it things like communication do require a learning process and, and skill. Mm -hmm. and so while we, while we may have the, the, cap the, we have the capacity, the capability comes through practice. And I think one of the things that you're describing is reconnecting to that deep need and the yearning is I think the energy to allow that learning to happen. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that's so important to connect to what's, what's underneath the surface of this behavior that in and of, of itself is a skill to imagine feelings, to imagine expectations to imagine then deeper still the the yearnings um and the third thing you mentioned was uh we're all human beings do, doing the best that we can with what we know or what we've learned so those survival stances are, are limited mm -hmm. um but we can learn to do we can learn to do more um i guess there's an energy as you describe these things there's an energy of trusting because it's trusting and this may be tied into grace because these are not things they're not tangible, right? They're not like this mm -hmm. table in front of me, you know, that's not like when, when I drink water. These are resources that you're talking about that are invisible to the touch, invisible in some ways to the eyes. Um, how, how can we connect to our resources, Jennifer? What do you think? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big question, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How can we connect to our resources? Well, even... Even in the, I'm going to bring it back to the breath too, because even I think first is becoming aware, like noticing, notice when I'm, for me, it's when do I notice myself starting to react to something or when do I start noticing that I'm mm. feeling uncomfortable or whether, whether it's in my body, whether my heart's pounding or my stomach is clenched or, mm. and when I become aware of that, um, then it's the, can I pause and take a breath? You yeah. know, when we take a breath, you know, we're, we're oxygenating our body and bringing oxygen to our brains. And it really does allow us to slow down for, and pause instead of going into that reactive amygdala kind of place. Yeah. It gives, it allows us to really, and so, and then to pause and then be, and then it's being curious about what's happening inside for me right now. And being curious about what might be happening um, if you're with somebody else in relationship or whatever. Mm -hmm. Be curious about what's going on for them. Um, so how do we connect with our resources? Um, so, so that's good. I mean, the, the curiosity, yeah. maybe mm -hmm. we, can, we can concretize that a little bit more. Yeah. So what, what's happening inside of me? What's, what's the kind of exploration that you would do? Like if, if you could be on the shoulder of someone that you're working with in the mm -hmm. context of a client or a friend, what kind of, what kind of curious questions or what kind of things would you have someone wonder about? And, and 
would you uh, likely start with yourself rather than starting with the other person? Is that usually what you would suggest? What's going on in me? I think, or does it? Yeah, it, it can be so easy to get caught up um, with what's going on with somebody else. And then, so looking at how can I own my experience first? Um, so, so questions I might ask if, if I had, you know, <laughs> on my shoulder or whatever, I'd be, look, I'd be curious. If, okay, if you're, if you're congruent, if congruent Jennifer was <laughs> on your I'm shoulder congruent. all the time, yes. what, would she, what would she be saying? Eh, maybe you should think about this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and, and, and no particular sequence, but I would, I would notice what's happening in my body right now. Okay. I'd notice yeah. what's going on there. And then I'd be curious, I'd be, okay, and what's happening in my feelings? How am I feeling in this moment? Mm -hmm. um, I'm feeling frustrated or I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling angry. What, what feelings are coming up for me right now? I'd be curious about my emotions and I'd be looking at my, what meaning I'm making of what's mm -hmm. happening right now. And I'd own it like it's my meaning. So it could be something else or it could be this because the meaning we make about something directly impacts our emotions and okay so yeah. so let, let's walk through an example so um you know my wife have we have this like large brita water filter and so she we we both don't like putting it back into the fridge because it's large and bulky and i think we're both afraid of spilling water everywhere and so i see it there and i'm and so, oh, she left it out again um and i might make a meaning of she always expects me to do everything beware of the always yes. and the never. <laughs> yes, yes, she always, yes, exactly. So that's, so that, is that an example of there's a feeling and then I make a meaning and then that's, mm -hmm. that's kind of thought. She always, yeah. she always needs me to do everything. Um, you know, and you could play a game with yourself when saying, okay, well, but what else could it mean? <laughs> uh -huh. You know, it, um, uh -huh. but if we look, if we bring it down to like, even like in the moment um, where we don't have time to kind of go through systematically and look at this all these layers mm. the the really the key things that i look at for myself what's happening in my feelings how am i feeling um what is it that i'm needing at this moment because mm -hmm. when we're reacting it's usually about there's some need that isn't being met or we're trying to get our needs met in a way that isn't working for us mm. and so when i think of like my my kids and they're fighting and i'm trying to separate them and they're not listening to me um and i'm getting frustrated my need is I want them to listen to me. I want, I want to be heard. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my need is also I want peace. I want there to be peace. So I'm looking at what is my need. And then I can also be curious about what's going on for them. Um, and what's going on for them. And, but it really does start with what's happening for me. Because I can okay. only be in charge of how I respond. Mm -hmm. I can't control what other people are doing. I can only be in charge of what I'm doing in response to what's happening or yeah. how I want to respond. So there's, there's two nuggets that I want to pull out. The first thing um, you're, that you're describing, which I think is a, is a belief, and I think it's a living belief. I'm starting to think of beliefs as living, as, like, mm -hmm. as alive in a yes. way. It's kind of a weird thing that. to think, but no, it's a you know, if you sense. think about ideas or beliefs as alive, if they're embedded in you enough that they they shift your behavior, then they're they're as much living as your heart. So, one of the living beliefs that I am hearing you articulate is, I own my experience, okay. and I own my needs. Mm 
So that's, that's like a premise. That's a foundational yeah. I own. And when I'm working with couples, well, with, with anyone, that's one of the primary messages. Like this language of you make me feel, we've got to get rid yeah. of Yes. We've got to get rid of that language. Mm-hmm. Each person, each person contributes to an event and even contributes their behavior, but it's our nervous system. It's what comes out of us that creates our own feeling. And that that's very empowering. Um, and the second thing that you were describing is when you, when you go down, I want to be heard in the example and peace. When you connect to, let's say that yearning, I would, I would describe peace as a yearning. Would you, mm-hmm, is that a, a safe description? Definitely. Okay. So, it, and then peace starts to be this transcendent energy that's transcending the survival coping behavior or the feelings even, mm-hmm. and then become the en- energy that starts to be able to transform things. So it's this owning and then by owning and really identifying my needs, identifying my needs seems to open a window to bringing in an energy that is the resource that's already there, but just not, not in, not in the foreground yet. And then I think that's, that starts to, um, that starts to dance with the experience and and with behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. And it's, so it's owning it and embodying it. So when I'm in touch with mm -hmm. peace and then when I, when I start to exude that energy out into the room, even if it's not a spoken thing, it's an energetic, right. That will in, that has an influence on what's happening in any yeah. system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think and and I'm always you know because I've I've had conversations with our friend and colleague John Banman and and as I'm hearing and and people use the word energy a lot and mm-hmm. my struggle with that word is it's 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 almost too vague to be useful. It is. So one of one of the things and 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 as we're talking and one of my challenges is. So when we talk about an energy, let's say in this instance, we're talking about the energy of peace. Um, I think we can concretize peace such that it's seen. So can you describe what like, and also grace, maybe they're, they're related, grace and peace. Mm. How, does, mm. how does grace and peace as a living energy or living be- uh, yearning impact the way you think, the way you behave, the way your body is? Maybe, can you um, walk us through that? Like what? Because you, you sound very body aware. So mm. does that make sense? Yeah, that yeah. Kind of straight for people? Yeah. I mean, the first word that comes to me, and maybe I'll see if I can concretize this a bit more, is the word flow or harmony. Um, so when I, if I start with body, mm-hmm. when I'm at peace or experiencing grace for those moments, even as we talk about it, my whole, there is a, calmness and a stillness with vitality so it's not a it's not a flat line stillness it's a it's a stillness um you know i think of like a i don't know what i'm thinking of but like water you know still waters run deep but um there's movement within the stillness but it 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 is a yeah i feel i'm feeling grounded so as in both literally and you know feet on the ground feeling connected to the earth there's also it's not just about what i'm experiencing within me i'm experiencing a connection to the greater and we can use different words like to the universe to something bigger the connection Mm. to the oneness that we are all 
connected and it so how do i describe that experience but it is it is that i experience myself as part of a whole mm-hmm. not a mm-hmm. I think I think that owning coming back to that idea of ownership is centering and grounding in and of itself because if I if I'm imagining like okay I'm, if I'm reacting to something my consciousness is not projected out it's like I'm angry at this person, I'm angry at the situation I've kind of left my own feet for a second and Virginia described often one of her primary focuses was um, you know helping like pe- people come into the world from parents that feel or experience that they have holes in them and that there's an emptiness that they need to fill in. And, and oftentimes they're filling them in uh, with the children that they bring into the world. And then those children start to live with this perception or experience that they have holes in them. Mm-hmm. H-O-L-E. And uh, then she would describe that a lot of her work was helping people understand that they were W-H-O-L-E, that they were already whole. And it's pointing to what you've already described, which is, okay, if I'm whole, that means that I have all the resources within me to cope. Mm-hmm. Or I'm, I'm worthy just as I am. I'm worthy of my life just as I am. And so I think, one, the ownership of, okay, my experience, my feelings, and my behavior comes out of me as mine. I can own that. And my needs and my yearnings are mine. Take a breath and then kind of land back into my body and to breathe. And then to to face and to, to also imagine the yearnings in someone else, um, I could see as a pretty, a very much more peaceful, but also still vital way of interacting. Because mm-hmm. as we know, when we're locked into fight, flight, and freeze, we, we lose our vitality. We lose our, exactly. our higher nature. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I wonder how that fits for you and, and what you would add to that. Oh, it fits beautifully. I mean, and I, I love the whole, you know, Virginia sits here. Really, all we need to do is add the W because we are whole. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. The, the satir model is such an add-in model, right? So add in the W and we're yes. already, yes, yeah. already whole. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think the other word that comes to me is, is compassion. Like, so when I, can I hold compassion for myself and compassion for others when we're in touch with the yearnings it allows me to have much more compassion Mm -hmm. for the other person Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. yeah and 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 when we're describing the difference between the survival energy the survival energy is about my survival so Mm -hmm. it's very it's very egocentric yes and not that there's anything wrong with that it's good to make sure that our bodies survive Mm -hmm. and we maintain and protect the integrity of our bodies but words like compassion and peace and grace are about the whole situation they're about mm-hmm. me they're about you mm-hmm. they're about the environment and um and and i think what you're talking about with breath is so important because i don't we can't get we can't get to those higher energies without first grounding in in our own body so exactly. it seems to mm-hmm. be a very very important beginning step for people yeah. um okay um how's this conversation for you so far I'm loving this conversation. Yeah. Okay, good. Just, it's it's feeding my vitality and my okay. <laughs> my life energy. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, so maybe I can get to question one. <laughs> question one? Are we not there yet? <laughs> no. Um, I wonder what what influences Virginia Satir's work had on you 
personally and professionally? What what impacts um, has she had? And um, I guess the follow up to that is, what did you experience that was different from other models? Oh, okay. I have to shift gears here. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I mean, we're not really shifting gears, though, are we? Because I think what we've been talking about up until now embodies um, how Virginia Satir has influenced. Yeah. Yeah. Life, maybe maybe you can articulate that. Yeah. Like. Yeah. What? Yeah. So, I mean, she, I, I didn't know about the Satir model until I was in graduate school, um, doing my my master's degree, and John Bamman was actually my clinical supervisor. For my practicum up and, and up until that point all the other models I had learned um, there was just something missing for me I really didn't have a sense of I didn't feel grounded in any particular theory and as soon as I learned the satire model and and the underlying the foundations of the satire model for me it just opened up um, both personally and professionally it, first, it gave me an umbrella or a framework where I could fit in everything that I had already learned about therapy up until that point. Mm-hmm. And, and personally, it just gave me a framework for how I wanted to be and how I want to live in this world and with my family. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Because one of the things that, that John Bandman said to me uh, when we spoke was that he thinks of Virginia's work as more of a life model rather than just a family mm-hmm. therapy model. Yes. And it seems to be what you're describing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you've used this word grounded a lot in our conversation. And so <laughs> there, there must be, there, it's obviously very significant to you. You said, I never felt grounded in other models. And when you were saying that, this image of, you know, the story of like the six, six men and the elephant. Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it's like what when you're learning all these other theories, it was like this is a piece, this is, mm-hmm. you know, this is one piece of the elephant, this is the trunk, this is the nose, this is the tail, this is the, you know. So is is it that you were able to kind of put the spectrum of experience in in, in that framework? I mean, does I don't know if that helps. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a great metaphor of the elephant, actually. Yeah, because all these other pieces that I had learned, well, and some some I felt weren't deep enough or experiential enough um, but they were like different pieces or different parts of the elephant without knowing what the whole looked like or could look like so mm-hmm. with that and so then it's just yeah it just I guess the word scattered also comes so I see the opposite of like ground or a foundation of some a framework to mm-hmm. look look at everything um, the satire model really allowed, I had all these tools for my toolkit, but without knowing really like which tool, do, like what is this for and why do I want to use this tool? Whereas the satire model really, the experiential part of it, the transformational part of it, and seeing the whole system and how really um, it is seeing the whole elephant, the whole picture. Yeah. So maybe I can ask you a question about tools because okay. to, there's an assumption in tools. You take your car to the shop and you use tools when something's broken. So there's an assumption there. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a direction. There's a, there's, let's say it's a growth model. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea um, that I know you guys teach, which is to be positively directional. Mm-hmm. So, um, how how are the tools 
how do you perceive or experience the, the, the tools within the Satir model as different than maybe other models from other therapeutic systems? Um, yeah, are they, are they different? Well, right away, when you use the word tools, I think I want to change that word with the Satir model because from, for, in the Satir model, we also talk about um, vehicles for change. Mm, okay. And to me, uh, a tool is a, you know, let's take a, you know, a hammer or a, or a wrench in here. Let's do this to fix like the car parts. Let's fix yeah. what's broken. Whereas, or can we look at, vehicles are processes of change. What kind of processes can we use mm, for change nice. in a positive direction? It's a lot more dynamic and fluid, I think, than uh, what tool am I going to pull out here? Well, there's a, there's a, maybe a, there's like being done to, you're like, you're lying on the surgical yeah. table and someone's doing something to you mm -hmm. or you're act, you're alive and you're being, you're being taken on a journey. You have a guide. Yes. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's more the image that I have with how yeah. she was, she was literally holding people's hands and saying, literally. let's be brave together mm -hmm. and let's look. Yeah. And um, I think to your point of if, if the tool is embedded in a system that is connected to beliefs about pathology or what's wrong or how you need to be fixed, then that informs how that tool is going to be used. And it's going mm -hmm. to inform how you're going to perceive the people that you're with. Um, and that, that's something that, that inspired me with Virginia's work because it was, it was a framework that, highlighted the tools in a different way their use would be different and sometimes irrelevant um so yeah i think this is a really important topic for for people that are um consuming let's say mental health resources right because mm -hmm. i you know i've had conversations with people where they feel that corporatization of mental health services where you know it's about uh, simply reducing symptoms or how that's experienced by people that I've worked with is that their feelings or their experience is somehow uh, in not substantiated or not worthy or not real in some way. Um, and if they just use the right tool or technique, they could just, um, you know, get rid of it. So I think there's a, there's a kind of profound respect uh, that, that exists in the way that Virginia worked and, um, I wonder how how that fits in, in terms of how you teach and how you work and how that shows up. And, and if you feel, because Virginia had to fight against a lot of the uh, major theories of the time and uh, ways of doing things. Um, I, I wonder how that tension has existed in your life, because you, you've described it in, in your education and between the things that you were learning and, and how Virginia's work fit how do you reconcile Virginia Satir's work with other therapy models? Right. What do you take, what do you hold on to and what do you let go of? Oh, well, with Virginia Satir's work, I hold on to all of it. <laughs> the whole, um, with, I don't even know, I don't even know that there is a reconcile for me anyway, for me, the Satir model Anything that I've learned that fits into how we talk about the five essential elements, you know, we talk about positively directional and change focused, systemic, experiential, and the use of self. 
So anything, any other models or, or techniques or things that I've learned from other models that fit into those five essential elements, um, there is no need to reconcile because I think the number one important thing, not thing, that's the wrong word. <laughs> the one important aspect is how we use ourselves. So who I am as a therapist, who mm -hmm. you are as a therapist, like how we use ourselves. And it's such a relational, it is a relational process with our clients. So there is that I'm not, I'm not doing anything to my clients. We, I'm doing things collaboratively with my clients. Mm -hmm. And we are on this journey together. And as long as it's a very respectful model, I think, you know, and, and it is a growth model, not a hierarchical, where one is the expert. Our, our clients are our clients' expertise and our expertise as far as how we, how we choreograph our dance together. It's an ever-evolving, like every session is a kind of exciting because mm -hmm. it is a, a dance. Yeah. Yeah, because I think when, when you describe those core elements to the model, the use of self, positively directional, um, I wonder if we could focus on, they're all essential, I, I understand, but maybe we could focus on one. And I think that relates to, they are. Um, you know, what is a central concept for this podcast and in my work is, uh, is self-connection. Um, so can you, mm -hmm. can you describe what, um, what self-connection means to you? Um, yeah, maybe that's, and how you connect to yourself. Yeah, so self-connection for me, mm-hmm. So every, and it, again, it's, it's not a first I do this and then I do this. It's a, it is a constant. So before every session, I take a moment to check in with myself, whether it's I close my eyes, I maybe put my hand over my heart. I take a few breaths. I check in with, and I try to clear or let go of anything that, um, so I, I need to allow myself to be fully present. So it's preparing, how I prepare myself to receive and give, to give and receive um, with, my, with my clients. Mm -hmm. Connection with self also at the beginning of my day when I wake up in the morning, spending that time by myself before the children wake up or before having, before anything, it's just whether taking time in silent meditation just to be. Mm -hmm. So, and then if we're looking at in terms of therapy, when I'm with my clients, I'm also monitoring what is going on inside of me when I'm with my clients. And, and really, and this is what we might get into too much here, but looking at what, what's mine and what am I picking up on that from my clients? So I, I'm using my own body responses in to be curious right. about what's going on with my clients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So use I, of self is how am I using my, my whole self? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the time to connect to yourself, the way that you're describing it makes it clear uh, what's, what's mine. Right? I think it comes back to that word that we were talking about of own, own owning yourself or owning mm -hmm. your experience. Um, 
And I know Virginia talked about mm -hmm. when we do our work and, you know, she would have people doing these 30 day long trainings, process communities, um, because it was her hope that people that mm -hmm. were facilitating uh, change processes would be safe themselves, that they would be, um, yeah, not certainly not inflicting any more harm. And I think when, when you have that awareness of what's mine, what belongs to my client, or um, you don't take on that energy. And, and, um, and oftentimes uh, people will ask me, you know, as a therapist, don't you get burnt out? Or, you know, and I say, no, I get energized by my work. And um, I wonder if you feel the same. And, um, and mm -hmm. if, what, if, if this, what you're describing isn't a part of that, that helps you sustain yourself and sustain your energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely feel energized when I'm with my clients. And I think that is, and it comes from, it also, it comes also from that belief and that knowing that our clients have the resources that they need to survive. So I don't carry the burden of responsibility mm -hmm. for, um, I have to fix this or I have to, I have to do something. It's more like I have to be something. I have to be present. So my responsibility is to provide the conditions for us to do the work that we're going to do together. Mm, I love that. And that um, energizes me. It's exciting. It's mm, fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that like the doing, um, the doing that comes from that energy of being um, how do I want to be as a human being? How do I want to be related to you? One that models something. It models a respect. It models a, a grace that we're talking about. Uh, it models a way of, of being in a loving connection, a loving, caring connection that affects each other on, a, on, a, on multiple levels. And um, yeah, I think we're, we're, we're obviously doing something. We're not just sitting silently <laughs> with with our clients but mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i'm patting myself on the back for doing a really good job of being with you and that's it um yeah i'm just, just being here <laughs> yeah um do you have some encouraging words about um how, no it's okay how people might um emphasize or connect to self or the state of being that you're describing you're connecting to now um. i would i would just encourage people to even right now as they're listening if they're listening to this just to pause like really take moments throughout the day to pause noticing exactly where you are at a moment in time and List like even you know what are you grateful for in this moment? Being grateful um, and finding those moments. I'm gonna go and finding grace in the chaos. So those moments of grace that we talked about at the beginning, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. what that looks like for you, even if you're in the middle of a really tough situation. Um, you know, in my book, I wrote about when my husband was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and he's okay now, just <laughs> so mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. worked out okay. But those moments of, hey, at this moment in time, I can breathe. At this moment in time, where I can be 
in the forest and appreciate nature. At this moment in time, I'm alive. At this moment in time, my husband is alive and he still is. Um, but each moment by moment, what can you be grateful for? And uh, yeah, I think that's so... Yeah, I guess one that's of... That's what's helped me get through and start with yeah. this chaos of the... <laughs> I guess the when we're when we're stuck in a vortex of anxiety or depression or severe anger, what you're saying makes sense. Mm -hmm. However, it's not easy to do. Mm -hmm. And um, no, how how would you encourage someone when they're in that state? And I imagine that you're in that state when you were dealing with your husband's diagnosis of cancer. What helped you get there? What helped mm -hmm. you return to that place of gratitude of being in the moment? Well, one of <laughs> there's there's a few there's a few things that, that helped me get there. One, I think one that pushed me to get there, um, that really pushed me to get there was the fact that I was pregnant at the time. And uh, knowing okay. that I needed to get there for the sake of, I didn't want to transmit that fear and anxiety onto my unborn child. Mm. So in a way that really pushed me to, okay, I need to, I need to really take care of myself here for the sake of my child. So, but having said that, you don't need to be <laughs> pregnant to get there. But then, so through that, again, the breathing, breathing i think first all i did was just breathe really mm -hmm. and focus on the breath and the other huge huge piece um is nature you know even when we first got the diagnosis we went straight to the forest and straight to our favorite trees mm -hmm. and just getting i'm going to use the word grounded again but literally grounded, like feet on the earth grounded um connecting with nature well, trees are good role so models for that. Nature is a huge part of getting there. Yeah, you know, Jennifer. Are, yeah, yeah, one of the thoughts so, that trees and breathing. Trees and breathing. <laughs> um, you know, I think <laughs> there's there's a couple of things that are coming up as you're describing this, and it, I think it's really important. And I'm glad we're touching upon this within our our first, hopefully, the first of many conversations we can have, because um, I think there's a lot that you and I can connect on, uh, but. I think in order to get to that uh, place of gratitude is uh, you have to believe, you have to believe on some level, there's always something to be grateful for. I think like, and, yes. and it's an act of faith to get there. But if, if I have the belief, there is always something that I can be grateful for, then you can strive towards mm -hmm. life. And that might be the crack that allows the water to flow in. And the second thing when you were describing being, mm -hmm. being pregnant is, and what I would say to people based off of that is you may not be pregnant like Jennifer was, but you are pregnant with life inside of you. You know, you have, you have your life, you have your heart, you have, yes. your, you have your being. So mm -hmm. if, to imagine, you know, you're, mm -hmm. you're imbued with, with life just by the nature of you having a heart and having a body that's breathing and alive. And, um, for whatever that's worth for people that are going through, who knows what untold kinds of suffering. Um, 
that you, because of that fact of life, the, the, that you have nature inside of you, you're worthy. And, um, and in that, if it can be the, perhaps a doorway into, um, you know, if you have life, then it's not just that you need to feel these things, but that just as you um, needed to protect the unborn child, we also need to protect the life within us. We need to protect the, the yearnings that are desiring to come out and to be manifested in the world. And so I, I just imagine as you're describing that, what would it be like if we protected our core self to the level that you protected your unborn child and treated it with that level of respect and dignity? Uh, what, what changes would happen for people? Um, even though in spite of the suffering, in spite of the internal and external suffering, that you have life at the core of you by the fact of your heartbeat and of your breathing. And it's worthy of protecting and not just protecting, but of, um, of full expression and, and full vitality. So um, thank you for sharing that. I think it, it, it's helped me get to something. That is something, so beautiful. Yeah, thank that, you. Yeah. Great. So why don't we, why don't we stop there for today? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't don't we stop there for today? And yeah. yeah, And, and is there a way that people can get in touch with you, with your work, with the Institute? What's the best way to, to get in contact with you? Yeah. Well, they can, or a couple ways through the Institute, which is satirpacific.org. Um, I also have a website, Jennifer Nagel Counseling, spelled with two L's, dot com. Okay. Can you describe what the Institute does? Through my website, um, they can direct, there's my, yeah, the Satir Institute of the Pacific um, provides um, education and training for uh, the Satir model. And um, it's also a community of, well, we want to be a welcoming, intentional community to promote Virginia Satir's teachings in the world. Mm. Wonderful. So we um, have several, yeah. Great. And I'll post some, mm-hmm. I'll post some links uh, in the show notes. And yeah, I, I want to say thank you for, for being with me and, being, and creating a connection through, uh, through the internet and um, and I feel your energy and I feel your grace and, and your wisdom. And, I, and I'm really, really grateful that we have this time. 